I'm Jody Butts. Welcome to the 2020 Network brought to you by Interact. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Keith Dobson, a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Calgary, where he previously served as head of psychology and director of the clinical psychology program. Today, Keith joins me by phone for a conversation on coping with COVID-19, discussing the psychological effects of this pandemic and best practices to manage stress and anxiety. Keith, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, very difficult times, but I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, thank you for, for your assistance. So as we have our conversation, uh, we're going to be talking about um, mental health and people living with mental illness, but we'll also uh, be directing some of our questions and discussion to uh, mental wellness. So people sure. who haven't otherwise you know, experienced uh, a mental illness, but still uh, in the face of uncertainty and uh, sometimes dramatically different living arrangements uh, may, exp- may be experiencing stress as well. So tackling the, uh, tackling the topic of people living with mental illness, what, what, what are the specific challenges that folks are facing right now in this new environment of social distancing and changes in uh, healthcare services? Yeah, so there's a whole host of uh, challenges, of course, and um, maybe I'll just back up and just say that when we think about the psychology of anxiety, there are actually three main factors that we know that uh, predict people's anxiety levels in general. One is predictability. So again, in general, as things become more predictable, anxiety tends to go down, or as things become less predictable, anxiety goes up in general. And of course, with COVID-19, we have a lot of poor information or developing information or some even misinformation out there in in the world. And so people are confused, I think, sometimes really about what the messages are, what the information is. And the truth is, of course, the information is changing rapidly. So I think, again, there's a lot of sense of unpredictability about what is happening and what might happen. So that's one factor. The second is controllability. So the extent to which we can actually, if we know what the stressful event is going to be, can we control it or control our response to it? And again, unfortunately, in the current pandemic, we have relatively poor control um, because, you know, there's certain things that we can do, you know, to keep ourselves safe and to do social distancing, for example. Uh, But there's a lot that we don't know what to do, uh, partly because, again, we don't have as much information as we probably want. So, again, I think what we see in public health agencies is they're taking a relatively conservative approach, which is probably the right thing to do, given that we don't really know what what the proper or adequate responses are. And then the third issue is salience or personal importance. And again, as things become more relevant or personally important, of course, anxiety tends to go up. And in this case, with potentially severe illness or even death as an outcome, it's not surprising people are paying a lot of attention and monitoring and, and you know, seeing this as highly relevant. So we've kind of got the triple threat here. We've got, you know, poor poor predictability, poor controllability, and high personal relevance or salience. So it's not surprising that a lot of people are feeling anxious and stressed at this time. 
So, so that's not answering your direct question. Your question was about people with mental illness. And uh, again, I think what happens, of course, for anybody who's in a vulnerable state, and it could be because of mental illness or it could be because of physical illness or age, you know, if you're into a higher risk category, uh, the effects are likely just simply compounded. Now, how much, we don't know. And, um, you know, how bad it gets for people, again, we don't really know. But you would expect, of course, that the effects often are going to be worse. So there's not not much we can do about the relevance factor. It's uh, this pandemic for now is relevant to everybody equally. But in terms of thinking about that 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 ability to control, maybe to try and bring some predictability in your life, are there any strategies that that, that you would recommend for folks? Yeah. Oh, for sure. In fact, I have a whole list of them in front of me here. So I, I thought I would uh, start to, to to share some of them. And again, you know, what's appropriate for any given person, of course, is going to vary depending on their circumstances. So if you're still going to work, you know, if you're a first responder, for example, or a health professional, and you have to go to work, uh, the strategies might be a little bit different than if you're at home. So, so I'll just say a few. But one of them, I think, is just simply to... Um, you know, accept to some extent, you know, that negative feelings are appropriate, um, that it's okay to feel anxious, you know, and it's okay to feel worried um, and, you know, to not minimize or, or uh, try to take it away from other people if they're feeling that way. Uh, again, you're not a robot. We're not robots and you know, we don't want to be. So, so we need to actually recognize that, I think. So that's, that's one thing. And I think just simply acceptance can, can go some measure to making things more normal. A uh, big thing, I think, is, of course, to reach out to people. Um, humans are social animals by nature, yeah, of course. And so, you know, I think a lot of people at this time want to have support and want to hear from other people. I heard today somebody making the comment that for every measure of social distancing we engage in, we should try to commit to doing something else to reach out to somebody. You know, whether that's a phone call or an email or, or whatever, but, but we should try to offset whatever social distancing we're doing with something more positive. So that's a couple things. Um, I think, again, in terms of routines, again, there's a whole host of things we should probably be doing. Uh, generally speaking, we should try to schedule regular activities. Um, so my general advice to everybody, uh, and my work is mostly with people with a uh, history of depression, but my general advice is to try to have a routine that you keep to more or less week in and week out. Um, so, you know, get up at the same time or roughly the same time every day, go to bed at roughly the same time. Don't start shifting your schedule around, uh, every day. Uh, you know, when you wake up, think about the things that you want to accomplish. You might even write a to-do list, you know, for the day or, or for the week, you know, or some period of time and then try to specifically act on it. Uh, we actually know that activity scheduling and, you know, keeping to regular, um, you know, sessions, you know, for example, sleep cycle really are very strongly antidepressant activities. And so we strongly would recommend those things. Those, those are all great steps for really anyone to take yeah. um, because, uh, you know, as we spend more time apart from other people, um, the harder it is to maintain that that sense of purpose, sense of wellness, sense of well-being. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I think there are some other things that we can do in terms of those activity lists. So, for example, uh, if the person, if an individual is used to regular exercise, 
try to do something. Um, you know, we can still go outside and walk, you know, and that still is social distancing, if, even if we're not with someone. So if the weather's good, we can do that. Um, we're getting into spring. So as the spring comes along, people can get out in their yards and, you know, start to do that kind of work as well. So, so that's another uh, possible activity. Uh, we can do the things that we've been putting off. Like maybe you've not been doing some kind of home repair, you know. So again, this might be an opportunity to do those kinds of activities uh, for sure. Uh, eating and drinking wisely, again, not uh, indulging too much, you know, and, and eating healthy again as much as possible. Uh, you know, not not taking too many carbohydrates, for example, is a good piece of advice. And then again, I think you know, depending if the person is alone or with someone else, uh, spending social time. That that's that's probably a, a key one, I would say. So either reading with other people, watching videos together. Um, I, you know, I, I heard actually that there's a, a group that's getting set up to be able to watch the same videos together, but in different spaces. So you can actually talk about them and do it as a shared activity. Yeah, a couple of things. So there is a Google extension uh, yeah. that uh, that allows you to watch Netflix movies together. I think that's what you're referencing. And, and exactly. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure if I should give a, a formal name, but yes, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I well, then I committed that <laughs> sin for you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, uh, the other thing I wanted to, uh, to raise with you is that, is that I heard someone say, geez, I wish we didn't call it social distancing because really it's just individual distancing, right? And we can still be social using different, um, technologies to, to, to stay connected. Exactly. So, in fact, we're lucky in, you know, in a sense in this day and age, we have so many different ways to stay connected, you know, through television, through phones, through media, through Skype, you know, there's all sorts of technologies. Um, so these are all great strategies. Is there anything, is there any advice you would give um, to caregivers, um, uh, people who are, who are providing care or maybe just, you know, discharging basic services like grabbing groceries and those kinds of things um, for what, you know, when caring for someone who, who is experiencing anxiety? Um, I, again, I think to normalize the anxiety, to recognize it, to even name it, uh, it it's interesting. Uh, I work at the University of Calgary, like you said, and today I, I went uh, over on campus, had to get some things, and a lot of people were saying hello that I would normally not say hello to at all, you know, just walking down the hallways. Uh, so I think there's, a, again, a natural tendency in times of anxiety to reach out and to be more sociable. So I would extend that, you know, again, if caregivers are able to, and, and, and again, I think it's a challenge because there's a lot of demand on them right now. Uh, but if they can reach out and be more sociable, I think that's going to go a long distance for sure to help people feel better. Um, and again, uh, from the other side, again, if people are listening who are receiving care, again, I think one of the concerns I would have is if people feel like they're a burden on others and that they shouldn't ask for help, you know, that again, they should try to minimize those thoughts as much as possible and reach out for help if they really need it. Um, so sometimes there's a, a per pernicious relationship between um, mental illness and poverty. Is, yes. is there is there is there a message you you have for folks uh, who who are maybe looking to do something uh, to, to help uh, help better that situation for people during these troubling times? 
Well, um, first, I'll just second what you just said about the the potential negative effect here. We know that uh, this is not just a health uh, crisis, but it's also creating an economic crisis in the world. Uh, we've heard about a number of organizations shutting down or businesses shutting down, uh, either you know people being laid off temporarily or even some businesses failing. I've, I've heard about some examples. So there's going to be a huge financial hit for sure associated with this pandemic. Um, so recognize that and again you know providing the services I think is key um, from what I understand most of our governments are recognizing you know that there is a crisis uh, monies are being made available and certainly that's important to provide those kinds of helps um, my sense is a lot of people again are trying to rely on each other as much as possible so family members working together or, or supporting each other for people that can I would say again you know think about your uh, your neighbors who are struggling. Uh, maybe this is a great time to give more money to the food bank, for example, um, or to just simply pay attention to those around you. For example, if you have an older person who lives in your neighborhood or somebody who's on a fixed income, again, this might be a great time to just reach out to them and ask if they need help. Um, it's a bit awkward. Again, Canadians, I think we tend not to talk about money with each other. And, you know, so it's a bit of a social pressure not to have those discussions. But I think this may be a time when we need to just step outside of our normal social boundaries a little bit. Yeah, and if folks, you know, are um, uh, fortunate to be in a position that that that, that there is uh, an employee assistance plan in place mm -hmm. um, as part of your employment, there can be resources in that plan. Do, can you speak at all to, to what some of those might be? For family uh, employee assistance programs or just generally community resources? Uh, I, I was thinking EAP, but community resources are, are is also very helpful. Yeah, so I have a long list here of people and resources that I can give to you, but certainly family and friends is where most of us go in the first instance. Um, but again, if you're in a work situation, talking to colleagues and potentially supervisors, uh, and not that they necessarily can provide direct resources, but they might be able to put you in the right direction. Uh, if you work for a larger employer, probably there's a human resources department, and again, uh, they can steer you towards employment assistance if necessary, so EA benefits or they can uh, talk about other op options that may be available. EAP programs again if you're in a larger employee chances are you have an EAP or EFAP as it's sometimes called employee and family assistance program. So uh, again if you are in that situation you probably know about it uh, but if you're not sure check out with your employer uh, whether or not there is a program like that and what services they have. Our communities are doing a great job. You know I think food banks across the the country are stepping up as much as they can. Um, I think, you know, sheltered uh, facilities, again, are, are stretched to the limit already in many cases, unfortunately, uh, but they're doing more. Uh, spiritual leaders, again, can provide support and, and solace, you know, for people that want that kind of assistance. Our healthcare system is robust. It's, you know, again, it has limits, of course, but, you know, generally speaking in Canada, we have a pretty good healthcare system. And a lot of the efforts to uh, slow the spread of the COVID-19 virus is to keep the healthcare system functioning as well as possible. So, so again, I'm sure we've all heard that we shouldn't be going to our family doctor for, you know, the first scratch of the throat, for example. Uh, and there are numbers that are available most places to call to get uh, good guidance. 
uh, helplines, again, crisis lines are set up almost everywhere in Canada. Uh, there are kids' helplines for children that are uh, potentially having anxiety or stress. Some places are offering telehealth services. Uh, so again, some of this might be psychological services. So I know in Ontario, for example, and in Alberta, we both have telehealth services that are available. And then some places, although this is more limited, have occupational health and safety guidance as well. Um, that's typically more for first responders or people that are in high-risk groups, and they would have their own health and safety offices that people can go to. Um, I I was reading, too, I know this is in British Columbia, but for sure um, people can check in their own uh, jurisdictions. British Columbia has introduced um, a change uh, so that you can get uh, your prescriptions renewed uh, without Online. necessary. Yeah, online and uh, and for and earlier than than uh, than maybe you know the refill timeline uh, might suggest just to try and keep people out of stores and and keep it efficient. So so that's definitely something. Well, I've also heard of some companies sort of starting to spring up or expand their services. So some of the food delivery services, for example, have expanded the availability of services. Um, so again, I think people are doing what they can to try to make this as as comfortable as possible. Possible. Yeah, it's true. So, so what advice would, would you give to to employers? You know, many teams were used to coming to work every day and sitting side by side, and now they're dispersed at home. Like, what 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 do you tell a manager uh, uh, how to effectively support their team in in a very quick changing environment? Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think contact is critical, you know, ensuring that there's regular uh, dialogue of some kind, whether it's, you know, email or, or uh, phone calls, uh, but there needs to be some kind of ongoing communication. Um, again, I think one of the big risks that I've already seen a little bit is people getting a sense of aimlessness. Um, so, you know, if, if the company simply tells people to go home and work from home, but then doesn't give them work to do, uh, you run the risk, of course, that people are going to quickly become aimless. Um, so I think again, it's important for managers to ensure that there is a responsibility from the employees to the employment setting and that there is some kind of accountability as well so that people are feeling productive. Because, again, we know that one of the reasons why people tend to get uh, you know, value or feel value in life is being productive. And so for those people in particular, having a sense that there is some value to the work that they're doing is still important. Now, again, that's going to be a challenge in, in some places and for some employment uh, kinds of situations. But as much as possible, those would be my two pieces of advice, communication and accountability or productivity. Um, one of the big changes we're starting to see in healthcare and a sector not necessarily well known for big, quick changes is uh, is a new openness to virtual care. Are yes. You, can, can you speak to virtual care as it relates to psychology and psychiatry? Um, it's in, it's interesting because in some ways, again, we're we're fortunate. Again, this is you know, it's sort of a misguided way to say it, I suppose. But uh, in the last decade, there's been an enormous amount of research and effort done to look to how how to deliver psychological services at a distance. Again, countries like Canada, Australia, uh, the United States, to some extent, uh, we have huge distances between people in some cases, and getting access to services 
this has been recognized as a problem in, in many countries. And so looking at ways, either web-based delivery or internet-based delivery of one type or another, smartphone apps, um, there's a whole host of these that are available now for pretty much any problem you could think about. Uh, some of them are evidence-based and have been well-researched. Some of them, frankly, are not, you know, and are, are commercial ventures by people to, to make some money off of the web. So again, I think, you know, if, if people that are listening are thinking about going to web-based or internet-based uh, or smartphone-based programs, try to find those that look like they have an evidence base, you know, that they've been evaluated in some way. Uh, again, that's difficult, I know, as a consumer to find out that information, but look for one. If it's connected to a university, generally, you know, wh wh wherever the university is, chances are it's going to have a database behind it. If it's simply a commercial product, think twice. Yeah, that's very helpful because I can imagine that there may be some people who uh, turn to these services for the very first time during this mm -hmm. period, right? Just given all the anxiety stressors that, that, that you outlined at the top. So that's, uh, that's very helpful information. Um, so, you know, we talked about um, food banks and, you know, the role of the not-for-profit and charitable sector. Uh, can, can you speak to us at all about, about some of the things that, that, that you're seeing uh, around supporting, you know, people in the in these anxious times? You know, how 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 has the charitable sector or not-for-profit uh, sector stepped up? Uh, I honestly can't speak too directly to that because I don't work in those areas. Uh, my understanding is that, again, they're doing the best they can, yeah, although, again, the, the demand has grown dramatically. Uh, one of the difficulties, of course, in places like um, shelters, for example, is the whole issue about social contact. You know, and how do you uh, balance social contact against uh, you know the need for healthcare and, and uh, for just simply you know being protected in times? And the weather again in Canada still isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. So again, there is a human need, obviously, for for more contact. How they're managing directly, I honestly can't speak to though. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty difficult. I just saw um, a tweet out today from United Way just saying that they announced that um, charities could use um, any funds uh, that were committed for the United Way in a flexible format. So rather than oh, being good. tied to like project budgets and, and that type of thing. Um, but, you know, for sure, uh, I've also seen some restaurants uh, donating food to food banks. Uh, which which is also great to see, but I, I think I think there's still um, a lot of a lot of need there. So I encourage folks to try and find you know big, small, or medium ways of, yeah. of supporting this sector and and supporting yeah. no, uh, for sure. people. And at the grocery store where I normally go, uh, I noticed that the section for donations to the food bank was actually expanded. So again, trying to make it more salient for people and and be mindful of the again people in need. Um, so one of the things that's different, you know, uh, so so we look to the past, right, for for some guidance. That that that's another way to to make mm -hmm. things seem a little bit less uncertain. And so we look to the 1918 Spanish flu. We look to SARS uh, in more more recent experience, even H1N1. But one of the things that's really different is social media. So yes. what 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 guidance do you, do you give to people with these like you know? 24-hour news cycles that sometimes, you know, are a little bit torqued or, or try and use your emotions to, to keep you posted. 
Well, absolutely they do. Uh, even, the, I think, the, the the better quality news media are doing things like showing pictures, you know, on the backside, you know, of the, of the virus or showing empty streets, you know, and, and these are in some measures not helpful images at all because they don't really communicate information. They're really there, again, I think, to, you know, tug at people's emotions and to draw people back in. And some of the, I think, less reputable news services, again, are, are more or less preying on people's emotions, you know, and, and inviting people to come back without really a lot of new information. So my general advice, frankly, is that if you find that when you watch the news or you listen to the radio or you know, whatever your source of information is, that it makes you more anxious, turn it off. You know, walk away. Uh, the amount of new information in a given day, frankly, is not that much. Um, you know, if you listen to the news once in a day, you've probably got most of the information that you need. If things change dramatically, chances are you will hear about it. Um, but do you need to have the radio on all the time? Absolutely not. You know, it, it's interesting. Again, you know, in my office, I try to listen to music, uh, and I had to turn it off, frankly, because again, there was so much uh, intermediate, intermittent information about coronavirus that was really not useful information. Um, and so, I've, I've basically done that. We've made a rule at home to only watch TV uh, news once a year, once a day, to try to get the information. So again, I think you know, limiting access to information is something a good thing to do. So another big change is, is that, you know, uh, not only are we working from home, but we're really, um, you know, sheltering in place with mm. our families, right? And, yes, uh, yes. you know, and that can be a really big change for folks. And, and there's sometimes a lot of pressure to smile and post all your amazing pictures to Facebook of how you're really enjoying all your time together. Yeah. But it can yeah. also, it can also be a stressor. What, 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 what's your advice for, for families or, or, or partners, you know, really any, any uh, combination yeah. of people who are now spending a lot more close time together? Yeah. I, so again, I, I guess I would nuance this answer by saying that it really depends, I guess, on the nature of those interactions. So if they're positive and you want to share them, that's not so bad. Uh, if they're not so positive or if they're actually getting uh, boring or, or you know, uh, actually not confrontational, probably better just to keep it to yourself or to, again, have some private time even within the home or within the time that you have together. Um, again, structuring some of the time can be helpful. So planning activities and simply not you know, sort of having random encounters, I think, can be helpful. So planning a games night, for example, if you have time together that you have to spend that you wouldn't normally, might be something you could do. Uh, you can plan activities together, reading together, for example, or again, watching media together. If you're watching a, a movie, for example, again, you can plan positive activities together. So I think those are some things you can do. Um, but again, I, I think this is a challenge. Uh, the, one of the other challenges I would just pick up or you didn't ask about directly, though, is working with children. Because um, children, of course, have naturally, again, depending on their age, uh, somewhat limited attention spans. And, you know, they want they want information. They want, they want various kinds of attention. And, again, especially if you're living with younger children, this can be a special challenge, I think, at this time. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that if you're anxious and you're listening to the media all the time, uh, chances are your children are picking up on this as well. So again, I think for the sake of the people around you, the family members, again, limiting the exposure to negative information or, you know, 
health-related information may be useful, talking to people in a calm way that helps them to understand that, you know, things are being under control as best as they can, um, and supporting them at a level that they can understand, I think, again, would be an important thing to do as much as possible. And so it's, you know, it's really interesting. I, I'm I'm hearing two things from you. One is, um, you know, let let's let's have concern and really proactively reach out to people who may mm-hmm. be feeling isolated. But if you're not isolated, and if you know, if you're if you're in your family unit, you should also give yourself permission to have private time too. Yep, that, that that <laughs> that that balance is is really important to uh, to to our resilience. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In general, I think one of the recommendations from psychology is balance in everything. You know, again, the more the more you can balance off private time versus public time, activity versus you know, relaxation, um, you know, healthy expenditure of energy versus, you know, recovery time. I mean, these are all good things to do. That's, yeah, fantastic. That's a, that's a really great message for people as they, as they think about, you know, planning their days and, and planning um, this time as they move ahead. Um, any, any special message for healthcare workers? I think we all know how much uh, we're, we're going to lean on them. Uh, many of us have, you know, families living in other countries uh, where, where this disease has really hit with, with a lot of force. You know, how, how, do, how do we support healthcare workers as, as best as we can through this time. Yeah, I've already seen some things again on social media suggesting that when this is all over, we should sort of take stock of our healthcare providers and and maybe have a special day, like an, another national holiday day for healthcare providers or something like that to recognize the important work that they do. Here, uh, here. Yeah, I, I saw something again that said that, you know, it's uh, at many sporting events, you know, we pay attention to uh, first responders in the military, which again is entirely appropriate. But again, I think healthcare workers sometimes don't get the attention that they maybe deserve. Um, again, I think in terms of responding to your question more directly, though, some of the things that we can do is uh, be self-reliant to the extent that we can. Again, you know, I, I believe that humans are generally very resilient. And again, that for the most Part, things will get better. Uh, we're probably in a stage, from what I understand, that uh, for the next couple, three weeks, four weeks at least, you know, things will probably get a bit worse overall in Canada. But then with some of the measures that are being taken and the public health uh, positions, that hopefully things will start to improve. I mean, that seems to be what happened in China. They took some very dramatic steps and it seems like the situation is improving now, which is uh, a good sign for other parts of the world. Um, I think, though, by not relying too much and not uh, over-demanding services from our healthcare workers right now. This is something we can all do. So again, we should reach out when we need to. And certainly if we have symptoms, we should get the healthcare that we need. Um, but again, you, you've probably heard again that there are efforts right now to limit access to dental people, to uh, elective surgeries. You know, a variety of healthcare services are going to be suspended to allow the redirection of, of the resources to the people that need it the most. Well, thank you so much for your time and for providing us with this really thoughtful guidance, very practical guidance. Uh, we can all now go and do our to-do list that will help us feel more calm and more purposeful. And thank you for, for all that you do to contribute to the health of Canadians every day. Well, well, it's my pleasure, and thank you for putting on this uh, this invitation to me to talk to these issues, because this is obviously a stressful time, and again, I think the more that we can do to support each other, the better.